The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Man, I am glad you're here. We're jumping into a brand new series today, as you see on the screen behind me here, called Love Where You Live. And uh, I am excited about it. If you got a Bible with you, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13 toward the beginning of your Bible. Um, if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can turn there. We'll have the text on screen as well. But uh, let me go ahead and jump in by expressing this, that um, when I grew up, I grew up on the, uh, the mean streets of Marysville. And... Um, <laughs> I was born about five miles as the crow flies that way at Everett. It used to be called Everett General, um, and that's where I was born. Some of you maybe were born there as well. And um, I don't know what it is about growing up, but my mom put me in kindergarten at four years old. I think she just didn't want me around the house, which, you know, that has its own wound I'm working through. But um, so I, I have one of those fall birthdays, so October, and so they put me in at four, so I turned five you know, in October. So basically it means that my senior year, I was 16 when we started my senior year. Um, but as I was growing up, I remember too that my family at different gatherings would literally whisper to each other, is he ever gonna grow? And, um, and I could hear them. And uh, that's another wound. Again, I'm uh, working through, there's somebody on the second row who's guilty of whispering some of those things um, at family gatherings in my day. And um, I finally did, being 6'4", 220 now, lots of muscle. Um, <laughs> We're, we're good, so me and, me and Hunter, basically the same height. Um, but uh, anyway, I remember that as a kid, is he ever gonna grow? Well, it gets worse because when I went to uh, Marysville Middle School, which is right over here, um, in sixth grade, I looked like I was about five years old. Um, and so I'm in Marysville Middle School. I remember at one point I got locked in my locker, which is a great event, by the way, if you've never had that happen, um, you should try it sometime. And... I also recall that when I was in, growing up in school, there was two of us that I remember named Nick. And at one point, because I was pretty short, they called us the little Nicks. Now I've shared this before, but what you have to understand, and I wanna be careful how I say this, but I was, I was a normal sized human being and this individual was, was a smaller person, but they called us the little Nicks. And that was another thing I'm working through with counseling. <laughs> now this other Nick, um, was on the wrestling team in sixth and seventh grade, and so was I. And at one point, to put on a sports exhibition in front of the school, they asked a bunch of individuals, hey, would you wanna wrestle in front of the whole school? And I'm like, well, sure, I guess so. And so being on the wrestling team, I learned that day that I'm gonna wrestle Nick. And um, it doesn't go well for me, let me just say it that way. Um, and I managed to lose to this individual and um, that's the kind of moment where, you, you, you know, you want to leave the world. Uh, you, you're ready to, to move somewhere else and relocate and reestablish yourself as someone else. Um, but I didn't do that. Stuck it out and um, got to Marysville Junior High. And of course, back in that day in the late 80s, Marysville Junior High was eighth and ninth grade. Some of you remember this. Some of you were there. Um, some of you remember me. But anyway, um, so in ninth grade, I also recall um, that... Uh, there was a, a gal in our, in our class that was also pretty short. And at one point, I remember her coming up to me in the cafeteria at lunch and going, hey, I'm taller than you. And um, so uh, I got a lot of baggage. I carry a lot of stuff. It's, uh, yeah. So anyway, this is, this is therapeutic for me. And if you're a counselor, meet me in the lobby afterwards. I'd love to, to set up an appointment. Um, being younger in, in, in school, um, I was also one of the last to get my driver's license. 
Now, what's tough about that is not only is it a bummer to be one of the last people to get your license, because it's always the kids who get it first, like, man, that's so cool. They can drive in eighth grade or, you know, whatever. Um, and <laughs> there's reasons for that, right? I mean, there's, you know, like, there, there's a reason there. Okay, so anyway, full beard and, you know, so up. Uh, but um, so I was one of the last. The problem with being the last to get my license, though, is that I didn't live in Marysville proper. Um, I lived out on Tulalip, but I didn't just live out on Tulalip. Like some of you guys like, oh, like Marysville West. No, no. Anybody remember where Boom City used to be? Okay, like five miles out on Marine Drive. Okay, I lived out there, but let me be more specific. When you get out towards Boom City and you turn left on Marine Drive towards the water and you see Boom City, no, I lived to the right. It was called Waterworks Road, Turk Road. I lived three and a half miles up that road. Uh, we were the last on our street to have power, Okay. I'm not, this is not a, and you're like, this is like the 19, you know, 18, 20. Okay, here's the thing. The bus, I didn't have my license. The bus didn't come within a mile and a half of our house. And so I would be pleading and begging the Lord on our way as the bus rounds a certain corner that my mom would be there in her car. Otherwise I was walking that day. And it was like gravel and it was literally like up and down hills. It was the kind of thing where when you get your new school shoes and you have to walk and it's early on, you take them off and put them in your backpack and put on old shoes just so you could still, you know. This is my world. And so I was one of the last to get my license, which meant when I was hanging out with my friends, I'd be like, hey, could you give me a ride home? Which I'm grateful back then that gas was like 92 cents a gallon because nowadays it'd be like, I don't know what I'd have to give them. You know, like, hey, I'll give plasma, I'll pay you for gas later um, or whatever. But it was, you know, so, uh, you know, get my license and, and stuff like that. But um, I also uh, drove, my first car was a 1982 Volkswagen Dasher. Now, if you know what those look like, uh, it wasn't pretty. It was probably the V-dub version of a Pinto. Um, and it was, it was four doors and a hatchback, which is a great bonus, okay? Yeah. Love that. Okay, on top of it, it was rust-colored, and it was a diesel, which meant when you get in a V-dub back then, you'd have to sit and wait the glow plugs to warm up. So you're just literally sitting there, and the light finally goes off, and you can start the car, and you start it, and it's loud. Okay, I got to the point with that car where I lived on the gravel roads and it was bumpy that at one point the shocks went out and so it looked like I had hydraulics. Anybody remember those days? Okay, this is, this is my world, all right? And when I was a junior, I got my license finally as a junior and I went to my friend's graduation party. It was a female friend that I was definitely, I liked her a lot and I went to her graduation party back in 1992 in my Volkswagen Dasher and all, you know, a bunch of people are there and she's celebrating and all the friends, but here's what it was. Like it was, it was, let me put it this way. It was one of the cool kids from the, the grade before me. And so all the cool kids are there and I'm hanging out and we're doing whatever. And finally I go to leave and some of the cool kids, the guys from the year before me are out playing street football and I have to go get in my car. Now, the problem for me was there was a sweet Toyota 4x4 right in front of my car. So as I'm walking out, like, dude, is that your truck? I'm like, no. <laughs> and so I got to go get in my car and, and I'm sitting there waiting for it to, you know, little plugs go and all of a sudden. So anyway, I say all that because it's, it's kind of a miracle maybe that I survived um, throughout, you know, my school career. And, you know, I graduated with honors. I didn't graduate with honors. Um, <laughs> my daughter did. I did not. Um, so anyway, but um, I, I say all that because in some ways when you go through certain things, there's a moment in your life where you're like, I just want to leave. Like, let me get out of here. And we feel that way. In, in psychology, it's called fight or flight. Most of us have heard fight or flight. I, I say this because... You've had experiences in your life where you felt like, can I just get out of town? Now, you might not want to admit it, and it may not be the litany of things I can remember from my troubled childhood, but um, there's times where you're like, I just want out. And I think it's also true 
today in 2022 that we sort of feel this even now. And, and you could say it's kind of fight or flight or, or, or maybe it's just looking at the world we live in. But what happens is we go, you know what? I just want out. And, and let, me, let me give some specifics to it because I think some of these reasons that today we feel that way, that this resonates. And, and so sometimes we go in our world, it's like, well, the, like the cost of living around here is so high that it would, be way, it would be way cheaper to live somewhere else. Or if I sell here and I buy over there, I'd be way better off and all that stuff. And there's a reality to that. Another side of it could be, um, and, and maybe this is a little more specific, but like our schools can be in you know, trouble and we feel frustrated, whatever. And we go, man, I, my kids, and you know, maybe it's time to, to look at elsewhere because of that. And there's a reality to that conversation as well. Maybe for some you look at government and, and, and you, again, we can look at you know, nationwide, you look at state or local, whatever, and we feel frustrated by the local politics or, or certain policies. And we're like, you know what, if we just go to this place, it seems like it's better or whatever it might be. Or sometimes it's the culture of an area. And sometimes based on who you are and, and maybe what you believe, the culture of a certain area, you're like, man, it just, this is more uncomfortable than it's ever been. And I feel maybe more frustrated or on edge or you know, so many people that I don't agree or they don't agree and we're kind of butting heads and all this stuff. And so we feel this you know, get out. Or sometimes just the practical, like some people I know, it's like, you know, I found an incredible opportunity for a job and it's a promotion, it pays better and it's in this state. And so I'm gonna go. And I know people that are in that scenario and there's a reality there as well. And sometimes it's just climate. Right, welcome, I know, this is Washington, and you know, the, the big joke from Sleepless in Seattle, I never remember, it rains nine months out of the year in Seattle, You're like, it's like 10, you know, so, um, but we live here, and it's like June 5th, and, and I just saw, some of you guys saw this on social media, a radio station posted the hours of degrees above 70 this year, anybody catch that? Yeah, some of us saw that, and it said like back in 20, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and, and it was like, you know, 100 hours, 70 hours, 130 hours, or, and then the drum roll, 2022, and it was five hours what? above 70. By the end of May, we had only had five hours above 70 degrees. I think it was specifically to Seattle. So anyway, we're a little north, but, but five hours. And we look at that and go, I want out. Like, this is nuts. I can't handle this anymore. And, and so we sort of feel all of that and there is a reality to it. And so here, here's what it is, here we are. And so you guys are like, here we are for now. <laughs> okay, so email me, let me know. I'd love to send you off with a blessing. But anyway, I get it. But, but the truth is here we are. But, but here's what here we are can sometimes mean. Here we are stuck. Here we are frustrated. Here we are annoyed. Here we are experiencing all that we do. Here we are, and we want to skip town. We just want out. Now, let me, let, me, let me shift gears a little bit here to a question that my hope challenges us in, in the whole of this conversation. How many of you guys know by a raise of hands what glass half full or glass half empty means? Yeah, probably all of us, most of us do. But I want to bring this up because how does glass half full or glass half empty apply to our current situation? Rhetorical, think about it. Based on, rhetorical, okay. Sorry, don't do that, Nick, you're a jerk, okay. Um, how does glass half full or glass half empty apply to the conversation we're having today? And it applies because the word is reframing. And you've heard this word before, or you're aware, most of us probably, of what the idea of reframing means. But when you think about reframing, it really is a big deal, especially 
where we live. And in a minute here, I want to get more specific about this idea of where we live, define it a little more. So we'll get to that. But let me share a simple story that some of you have heard before, but I appreciate the, the, the nuance of it. And it goes like this. There were two shoe salesmen that were sent to a, a far off place in a remote area of South America to scout out the market for shoes. And immediately back to where they were staying, they sent back to their company a couple of things. The first salesman sent back this, zero opportunity here, nobody wears shoes. The second guy, and you know where this is going, sent back to the same company, um, this, this phrase, unbelievable opportunity here, nobody wears shoes. That's called reframing. There's different ways to look at situations. And throughout this series that we're calling Love Where You Live, I wanna challenge us to reframe looking at where we live. And again, I'll define that here in a moment, but it is a big deal because we're not called to live glass half empty. We're not called to live stuck in anxiety. We're not called to live constantly griping and complaining, entertaining and entertaining all of the gripes and complaints that happen all around us. That's not where we're supposed to land if we say that we're followers of Christ. Listen, it doesn't mean we don't feel some of the frustration. It doesn't mean I didn't get up this morning like you did and went, look, more rain. Okay, I just put down seed and peat moss in different areas of my lawn. I'm pretty sure I just washed over to the neighbors this morning, okay? <laughs> Super excited about that. So this afternoon, that's where I'm gonna be. So again, it's not that we don't feel all that we feel. It's not that certain things aren't, aren't realities as far as this it feels depressing, it feels dark, this system isn't so great, I don't like this portion. It doesn't mean we don't feel those things. But what matters is what we do with how we feel about those things. And I say that because what I wanna do is jump into Numbers chapter 13, because there's a story here that I think will resonate right along the lines of, of this reframing. I'm gonna jump in and it says in, in Numbers 13 verse one, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving, <clears throat> which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, all of them were leaders of the Israelites. And then it goes on to give you name by name, tribe by tribe. So I'm gonna skip a little bit of that and look at verse 17. It says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob uh, toward Libo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Iman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. By the way, these names are already hard and I have braces, so I'm doing my best here. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. 
We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and there are cities that are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we experienced devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. Let's pray. God, today I pray you would help us understand why the story is a big deal, why reframing matters in the world that we live in. And God, help us to love where we live. It doesn't mean we agree with everything that goes on. It doesn't mean we like everything we see, but it does mean, God, to reframe it. God, we can look at opportunity rather than issue. God, help us to be part of a solution to provide hope and light and life through the work of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Numbers chapter 13 is about God challenging Moses to send out spies to a land that, remember, way back in Genesis 12 was promised to Abraham. This, this is many, many, many years later, and Moses is commissioning this group to go and look at the land. But I want you to notice in verse one, or excuse me, verse two, it says, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. This is the promised land. And then I want you to notice what it says, which I am giving to the Israelites. God had specifically told Moses, this is the land I've been promising generation after generation. This is a land that I've, I'm giving you to have. And now I want you to go and, and, and send out spies from each ancestral tribe. And so the Lord does that very thing. Now I want you to notice who the Lord sends out. One representative from every one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So somebody representing each tribe from the entire nation, but it wasn't just a representative. Do you notice who is going? It's the leaders from every tribe. It's one of the key leaders from every tribe. Why is that such a big deal? Because these aren't just people that would bring back report. These are people that whatever report they brought back, they would have some level of influence to the people that they were bringing the report to. It wasn't just people, it was leaders. And this is why leadership in our world matters. This is why for you and I, as we lead our families, as we lead in business or community, as we lead in government or, or first responders or in, in school or whatever it would be, how you lead matters. Practically everything that I can recall today reading about leadership is this. When you see something in an organization that's going well, it's usually because there's a leader in place that's healthy and doing a great job. That ought to create tension in all of us to ask, what kind of leader am I as a dad or a mom? What kind of leader am I as a husband or as well? What kind of leader am I in, in, in the place that I go to every day to work? Leadership matters. And you could say all day long, yeah, but I'm not the leader they are. Yeah, but I bet you have influence over your own attitude. Do you lead yourself well? Do you challenge yourself to consider how you think and process rather than just showing up to work, doing the bare minimum and going home and collecting a paycheck? You talk about this thing reframing. It matters to a great degree wherever we go. It matters to a great degree whatever leadership God gives us. And you could say you have none, but I beg to differ. Every one of us, even in nuances, has places of leadership. 
where you're either the thermostat or the thermometer, and you've probably heard this before. Are you setting the temperature or are you just going with the temperature of the room you're, you're in, the place you're around? It's negative, so you're negative. It's positive, so you can be positive, And you let everything else dictate how you live. These were the leaders that God said, send leaders, 12 of them, one from each tribe to go spy out the land. So they go out and they, they, they spy out the land and it gives you this, this, this map. And if you were to look at the geography of it, what you would see is the leaders went to look at the land and they realized this land is amazing. And there's all kinds of true trees that will produce fruit, all kinds of crops and all kinds of incredible things about this land. So when they say flowing with milk and honey, what they mean is this is an absolutely amazing livable land. And then it says, but... And it goes into this idea of all these different people groups live there. And these people groups are massive. These people groups are are, are large people with walled cities. And when it gives you the name of each city, when you look at the geography of it, what they're basically saying is these people live everywhere. They live in the hill country and they live in the sea. They They live all over where we would want to inhabit and that's a problem. And so so they they go and, and bring back this report And I love in the midst of the report where it says the Amalekites live in the Negev. Again, if you do the map, you'd see it. The Hittites, Jebusites, the Amorites, the Pepsilites. Sorry, that was about, okay. Um, I know, that's like a dad joke. Come on, man, really? Some of you guys don't even know what Pepsilite is. Google it, okay. Um, Anyways, uh, the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then, and I love this one, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Quiet, you guys. Because what the 10 spies did was tell the people, this land is amazing. The people went, really? This land has plenty to live on. Awesome. Ooh, I just spit a lot there, sorry. It's a good thing you're back a ways, okay? We'll mop that up later. They're, they're, they're building the people, this land is incredible. But, and from the people going, okay, awesome. They go, yeah, but the people there, uh-oh. They're huge, uh-oh. They're, 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 they're numerous. Uh-oh, they live everywhere. Uh-oh, they have walled cities. That's a problem. And Caleb's like, stop it. Stop. It says he silenced everybody and said, and I love this sentence, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. There were 12 spies sent out. 10 of them were like, this is impossible. We can't do it. It's an incredible land, but we will never get there because the people. And I want you to notice what were they looking at? The problem. What were they focusing on? That they couldn't take care of the problem. What what, what, what was the, the issue that they were facing? It's never going to happen. And yet, what was Caleb doing? We can do this. And what you find out in chapter 14 of Numbers, and the story continues is that there were two spies that said, let's do this. Anybody remember their names? Caleb and Joshua. Name for me any one of the other 10. Anyone? I know you might throw one out there. We don't really remember. We remember Joshua and Caleb because they had faith. We remember Joshua and Caleb because they went, you know, this can be done. They understood who their God was in the midst of a situation that looked really bad. Do you do that? Is that the direction you lean when a trial comes your way? Is that how you face 
The wall in front of you, the mountain that seems insurmountable? How do you handle when something comes your way that stresses you out, that can cause an anxiety? I get that where we live can feel so daunting, can feel so over deflating. And let me be specific. When I say where we live, it's not just your address. On one hand, we could easily say the whole world is such a dark place and you wouldn't be wrong. You could say, well, Western culture, Western civilization is such a dark place and you wouldn't be wrong. You say, well, I mean, North America, golly, such a dark place. You wouldn't be wrong. Well, the USA in particular, golly, and you wouldn't be wrong. Well, it's these Western states. Well, it's the Pacific Northwest. Well, it's the West side of Washington. Well, it's the greater Seattle metro area all the way up to Marysville, I guess. And you wouldn't be wrong. And we could look at what's going on in whatever context. You, Marysville, well, this area of Marysville. Well, this apartment complex, this neighborhood, this place I live, my house. And you might not be wrong. But the reason I talk about reframing is it's easy to gripe and complain about all the things we see wrong. But what if we reframed it as an opportunity to shine light? I know the phrase is a bit cliche, but when we say things like the darker the night, the brighter the light, it's true. At what point are we gonna lean into things that, that were taught from Paul and Peter and, and the founders of the first century church, who by the way, had it way worse than we have it. Way darker than we have it. Greater is he that is in us and he that's in the world. I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. You'll be filled with power so that you can be my witnesses in Marysville, in the surrounding areas of Snohomish County, Washington, the U.S., and the world if you want specific context. What about the idea that Jesus said, look into the fields, they are white for harvest, except in 2022 in the Pacific Northwest. Is that what he said? I, don't, I just, I can't, that part skips me. What did he say? Pray that laborers would rise up for the harvest. Who is that? You and me, wherever we're at. Caleb says, stop it. We can do this. Do you remember what Moses told the spies? Moses didn't tell the spies, go spy out the land and tell me if it can be done. That's not what Moses said. All Moses said was, go spy out the land and see what it's like and see who lives there and report back. That's your job. And for you and I, in the same way, our job can be, well, here's the culture of my workplace. Here's the culture of the family I live in and the reunion this summer and the Christmas time and who's gonna gather. Here's the culture of the school I go to or here's the culture of, of the community I live in or the city or the apartments or the neighborhood or whatever. Here it is. We don't deny the reality of where we live. But if you think it's your job to go, and this just sucks, you're wrong. 
the job of the spies was just to observe what's there. Because what were they supposed to do? Take inventory and prepare for what it would look like to deal with it. For you and I, in the same way, take inventory. Here's my family, here's my neighborhood, here's my work, here's all this stuff. But now what does it look like to be light in that context? To express grace and love in that context? Not to gripe and complain and go along with those who are full of negativity. The key is this, if you wanna learn to love where you live, then you've gotta frame your life this way. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, Paul is, is, is offering a sermon, a message to the city of Athens. And the city of Athens has, has, doesn't have believers that he's there to help establish a community of, of followers of Christ. And he's preaching a message that people would come to know Jesus, but the city is full of idols and all this stuff. And at one point when he's standing up talking about the context of, of who's there, he also says this, and he marked out, talking about the Lord, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. When you understand theologically what that means, it means in a similar way today, God puts you where he has you. And it doesn't mean practically you go, well, I think a transition and some of you guys are gonna email me and go, hey, I'm moving, it's fine. But if you're one of those like me, we're here, we're doing this. Then we believe according to Acts 17, 26, and there's many other verses that talk about it, that God's got this, that he has me here in this place and he has me in this time in history. Anybody ever had the conversation with your spouse or somebody that you hang out with? If you could live anywhere, where would you live? How many of you guys played that game before? Okay, many of us, many times. Or you've played the whole like, if you could live in any time in history, when would you live? And some of you guys are like, man, I dig the 80s. I want those back, right? And some of you are like, 1880s, man, I want the Wild West. Okay, and some of you guys are like, man, I want to live in medieval times, or I want to live in beasts, I want to live when Jesus was alive. We play all this game, these games, and that's fine. But do you understand that God has you where you're at on purpose? In this time in history, on purpose? Why is that a big deal? And again, this is not revolutionary to anybody. You're not sitting here going, I never knew that. Why is it a big deal though? And here's why it's a big deal. If those two sentences are true, then guess what? Then you have a purpose where you're at. And if you have a purpose where you're at, then you should be looking for opportunities with whatever that purpose is. So if you have a purpose, and by the way, the overarching purpose of anybody's life, if you would say you're a follower of Christ, is to help make Jesus known, period. I don't care what your career is. I don't care all that. I don't care. The overarching purpose. When you look at life that way, it should change how you live, where you live. Again, not revolutionary to anybody. But we live in a place where there's plenty of opportunity to complain, to feel deflated, to live frustrated with life. But I wanna challenge us to not be like the first shoe salesman. Zero opportunity here. But consider what it's like to be the second shoe salesman. Unbelievable opportunity here. Because that's where we're at. There's unbelievable opportunity if you believe what Jesus said. That there are people who, who need Christ wherever we go. 
wherever we work. Even where I work. Okay, anyway, so just, no. Didn't name any names. Just kidding. But, but I want to remind you some of the things that, that we believe as a church. We believe we've been given the Holy Spirit to fill us with strength, to reframe, reframe faithlessness, to believing that God has a purpose where you're at. We believe wholeheartedly that we've each been given gifts as part of the body of Christ to build the body up and encourage and shine that light to bring others into the community of believers of Christ. We, we've talked about how we have a vision for, for an expansion of our facility. It's why there's a wing that was cut off. If you're new and you drove up, you're like, that's weird architecture. I get it. But it's because it's, it's in preparation for an expansion to make room for people to join the community here. It's, it's, it's part of our, when we talk about our code, the idea, and we say this all the time, we give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. If you showed up going, what's in it for me? You're, miss, you're missing it. But how do I be a part of a movement that helps others understand Jesus' love for them? We, we, we again, part of our code, we will do anything short of sin to reach people that don't know Christ. Some of you aren't gonna like what I'm about to say, but when we have conversations about the expansion of our facility and, and moving towards the fall, we're hoping to get towards breaking ground and all that stuff, but this place is gonna be a mess for a while. And we're literally talking with the architects and some, some developers going, what does it mean to relocate for a season? Because we can't be here. And we're looking like, well, is it like one of the schools locally or, or may, do we meet over at Regal or, or somewhere? You know what? What if we been in a ballroom at the casino? And you're like, whoa, you can't do that. To this day, I'm like, I don't know if we can or can't. I don't know. All I know is we got to gather somewhere. And you're like, man, casino, but hey, welcome to church. And then here's the thing. You're like, wait a minute. We don't even do that with slots anymore. You just push a button. And then you're like, how does he know that? And I'm not going to tell you. We will do anything short of sin to reach people that don't know Christ. And no, we haven't landed the plane. And I'm sure you're going to email me and go, don't you dare you. Okay, anyway, so. Again, part of our code, we realize we don't know everything, but we will take risks, try new things, pray hard and learn as we go. As a church, it's why you hear things like back in October, we launched what's called the neighborhood. It's dinner church. It happens on Tuesday nights because there are people that may never come on a Sunday into a gathering like this, but how do we continue to reach? And so what started with, I think, four or six people that showed up for a dinner church and there was like a million volunteers and six people. Like, whoops. Anyway, but it's amazing how over time they've literally outgrown the Marysville Historical Society where they meet every Tuesday night for a meal. It's a free dinner just going, hey, how do we just express love towards people? We've literally called real estate agents going, we need another property. Help us, we need something bigger. We don't fit here anymore. Why would we do that? Because we want Christ's love to be known. And if people aren't just gonna come here, let's go out there. It's why we do iHeart. That's what the shirt's all about. Okay, but seriously, it's, I know that was pitiful. I get it, okay, stop. Try to go to the gym. But it's why we do iHeart. 
because we go, man, what a great way to show Christ's love, serving. Getting a hold of local organizations in our community, Parks and Rec and city government and schools and things like that. Marysville, but all over, Tulalip and Arlington, Lake Stephen, ever. Why would we, and some of you have been a part of it over the years and put together work parties where every day, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday this year, July 13 through 16, we're saying sign up. And if you can't do all those days, that's okay, do one. You can't do a whole day, do a half a day. But come and, 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 and express Christ's love through serving. That's what's happening. Yeah, we didn't do it for a couple of years with COVID. We're like, it's time. Why do we do things like that? Because we want Christ's love to be evident. And it doesn't happen just by gathering in a room like this. How do we go out there and love people well? Which, little side note, reminder, and I gotta wrap this up, but um, normally on Father's Day, two weeks from now, so you know, um, on Father's Day, we do an Every Kid to Camp offering each year to help scholarship kids to camp because the cost has been high. But because the last couple of years we haven't had camps with COVID and all that, we still had the money set aside for scholarships. And so this year in our conversation with iHeart, we said, what if we do a special offering for iHeart? Because obviously it costs a bunch of money and we don't look to charge people for that. And so we keep the cost, like 20 bucks basically to get a shirt um, and we put all the food, but um, we're doing a special offering in two weeks just to help offset that cost. We want Christ's love to be known. It's why we do tutoring. It's why every week on Wednesday from four to six, students can come from any one of our schools and get free tutoring. And we've actually seen it go onto certain campuses. Hey, come on out and help our kids. We want kids to feel like they can succeed because we want kids to feel cared about because it's amazing what happens in the life of a kid when they feel cared about and successful. You're gonna hear more about that coming up in this series. I bring all this up because we're, we're, we're passionate and it takes all of us. I'm glad you're here. And if you're new, I hope you enjoy the experience and I hope it's a great one. But at some point, I want every person to feel the challenge of being mobilized to be part of this thing because we're not spectators, we're in it. When I say fight or flight, we're not gonna leave. For me, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. But it means we fight. Let me be specific though. I don't mean fight against governments and groups. What I mean is you and I fight the powers of darkness by shining light. You and I expressing God's grace and love through the work of the cross that you received, that I've received, and that we want people to realize. I don't mean fight as in having bad attitudes and being full of ourselves and expressing angry you know, comments all over the place. Because even Paul said in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against the people. Our struggle is against darkness. So it's up to you and I to shine light. It means reframing this conversation from griping, complaining, glass half empty where we live to learning what it means to love where you live. And that's this series. I'm excited about a bunch of weeks coming up. I wanna pray. Jesus, today, in the midst of all that goes on in our world, in the midst of all the conversations that we've not only heard in the, in the workplaces we go to or, or the gatherings we're a part of, or whatever, that there's a lot of things that we can complain about. And, and there it is. But God, I pray instead of living in the dread of it all, in the darkness of it all, in the hopelessness of it all, we would realize we have an answer in Christ. We have the answer in the hope that we have in Christ. The grace and the love that we've received that has reframed our own lives. That we have a hope and a strength and peace beyond understanding. A purpose to live with every day. But to God, part of understanding that, Lord, is not just receiving, but extending that to the world that we live in. Help us love where we live. Help us, God, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.